0: A lot of people get stuck you know it's like it's like okay i know what to do but it, but somehow i still don't do it
1: that's our special guest author jill weisenberger a certified diabetes care and education specialist sharing what many people may be thinking who are newly diagnosed with prediabetes associated with prediabetes like insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity and provides great resources to help you turn around your diagnosis
2: got to get to know my God it's time to take a
1: stand to be a better man plus our friend vocalist pat lacey shares her story of how she turned around the type 2 diagnosis along with some of her great music from her new gospel album Jill, you've written a lot about prediabetes. What's the mindset you want someone who's just been diagnosed to have as they start to take on a prediabetes diagnosis?
0: It is an opportunity to turn things around. I think of it as like an alarm bell. So you can find out that you have prediabetes and you can do a couple of different things. One, you could say, okay, I hear that alarm bell and I'm gonna turn this ship around. And so you take action to prevent type 2 diabetes from occurring, at least delay it, hopefully reverse prediabetes completely. Or you could just ignore it and do nothing. And then next year and the year after, you're in the same situation or worse situation than you are now. So the good news is that it is an opportunity for you to make a change and a change that is going to have very long-lasting effects that, Otherwise, maybe you wouldn't have thought to do or had the motivation or impetus to do. But a lot
1: of people who are getting a prediabetes diagnosis have probably tried to lose weight, lost weight, gained it back, tried to lose weight, gained it back. And so right now, they're at a point where they just don't want to lose weight. And I know a lot of people immediately think prediabetes diabetes losing weight. But prediabetes, like type 2 diabetes, is considered a lifestyle disease. And so when we're talking about lifestyle, there's more involved in that than just your diet. Specifically, you mentioned on your website activity levels and sleep patterns Mm -hmm. can factor into how you improve your insulin sensitivity. Can you explain that? Sure.
0: Sure. Um, So instead of thinking about diabetes and prediabetes as lifestyle diseases, I like to think of them as having lifestyle solutions. I think it's just... um, a more positive and realistic way of looking at it. So I like to think, what are all the different lifestyle solutions? So first of all, let's just talk about the weight loss. Some people with prediabetes and diabetes don't have extra weight to lose, so it would be pointless to talk to them about weight loss Anyway, and as you said, lots of people just are tired of struggling with weight loss. So their motivation isn't to lose weight anymore. It's just to get healthier. And that's terrific. Um, But there is so much that we can do diet-wise and otherwise that has nothing to do with weight loss that can improve insulin sensitivity and reduce our chances of ever getting diabetes. So you mentioned sleep. Well, sleep is is just one aspect and what happens is when we are sleep deprived it's like a physical assault like having a broken leg or the flu you know it is still a physical stress and it changes our hormones and the reactions and it makes us less insulin sensitive even somebody who doesn't have Insulin resistance, somebody who, you know, is just a healthy person with normal blood sugar control, we sleep deprive them for a day, and they already have less insulin sensitivity the next day. So we know that this is the problem, and it's largely related to cortisol and other hormones. And also, sleep deprivation makes people eat more high-carb, high-fat, snacky-type foods, and that's not good for us either, Pre Diabetes or or not that's not good for us, so plus you know what think about this, Max, If you're super tired, how motivated are you to make a to make a salad or go for a walk? Probably not so motivated, so absolutely one you just reach best.
1: for the first thing, yeah, you just reach exactly. for the first thing in exactly. front of you,
0: right, but it's because also you're just like too you... tired,
1: right, and then the other part of this is, like you said, the lifestyle solution is about your activity level. A lot of people say, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm already active, Jill. I I walk, you know, around the neighborhood every night or something like that, or I go for a jog, or I play paddle ball. I mean pickleball, excuse me. (laughs) I play pickleball. Mm -hmm. People love to play that. But that, you know, so how how does activity factor into it, and are we doing the right activities if we're trying to turn our pre-diabetes around?
0: There are three aspects of physical activity that I think are really important to pre-diabetes and to, and to type 2 diabetes or diabetes in general, really. So let me just go through all three of them. So somebody is taking a walk after dinner and playing pickleball. I, am, I, I applaud that. Keep doing that, especially if you enjoy it. But let's first think about other types of cardiovascular exercise and what it can do for us. We have the walking, jogging, swimming, biking, that type of thing. Excuse me um, so that's the cardiovascular, meaning that it's good for our our heart and our blood vessels and our respiration, and we know that that lowers insulin resistance, so it is important to do that on a regular basis, so keep walking, keep playing pickleball, whatever it is. keep doing that because it does lower insulin resistance. Another thing is Every time you exercise your muscle, it takes up glucose regardless of insulin resistance. So typically, the cells of the body take up glucose because the hormone insulin is working properly, but during exercise, the muscles can take it up regardless of insulin, so that's another thing to keep on the on walking. So for example, anybody who has high blood sugars after a meal, it's a great idea to take a 20 or so minute walk after a meal. And if you can do that after more than one meal a day, that's even better. So you know, you have to be realistic and do what you what you can do. The second type of exercise that I think is really important is one that I get a lot of pushback on. For some reason, people do not want to do strength training, but it is so important for blood sugar control and for a couple of reasons. One is that it also reduces insulin resistance like the cardiovascular exercise does. So if you do cardiovascular exercise, or you do resistance training like lifting weights or um, doing squats and push-ups, that type of thing, either one of those will improve your insulin sensitivity. But when you do both of them, it's additive. So it's not—it's better than one or the other. When you get both, you get double the, the benefit. Here's the other thing about this. After eating, whenever you or I eat, something with carbohydrate, the carbohydrate in the food gets turned into blood sugar and the place where it wants to go after eating is to the muscle. So if you have a teeny tiny muscle, you can only take up a teeny tiny bit of sugar from the blood. But if you have a bigger muscle, then you can take up more sugar from the blood. So I I describe it this way. If I have a little bucket and a big bucket in my backyard during a rainstorm, the bigger bucket is going to just take up more water, more rain. So this is the same kind of thing if you have uh, a muscle that has been shrinking over the years and decades as we get older or a muscle that's not shrinking or possibly even getting bigger, you know which one is going to help you more with your blood sugar control. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and I think we should say regarding strength training that, of course, like the pushback is no one wants to quote-unquote bulk up or have like, you know, Michelle Obama arms. A lot of people do, but some people don't want that. So there's also uh, lower weights, you know, that they could be using probably getting the same effect. You know, you're you not advocating like somebody start bench pressing. 200 pounds. You're telling people that no. on top of just doing that walk and things like there's No, but I mean, I think that's what people push back on is just this idea of like, oh my gosh, I have to start joining a gym and doing all these things when there's lots of other ways to incorporate strength training into your, weekend, your workout. Yes.
0: Yoga, some types of yoga will do it. Working with resistance bands will do that. Um, and, and body weight Like squats and lunges and push ups and sit ups, those are all strength training. We want to do as, as, we want to exercise as many muscles as possible. And somebody once said to me, never miss a leg day. And that's because the legs are your largest muscle. So you don't want to miss a leg day because that's the one that will take up the most glucose. I thought that was a a good way to remember that. Never miss a leg day. How important it is to, um, to keep your muscles
1: Okay, so those are two really important things that you brought up, aside from just thinking about diet, and when we talk about diet, we're talking about what most people think about reducing calories, not a meal plan, if you're trying to uh, do a pre-diabetes turnaround. So one is like, uh The sleep is really important, like you're saying, making sure you're getting enough hours of sleep every night. The second one is I think you're advocating for mixing up your workout routines, whether if mm-hmm. you're walking and jogging or playing paddleball, add in some strength training or vice versa. If you do aqua fit, try to add something else in. And also, like you just mm-hmm. said, um taking a walk after you eat a meal. So even if you're walking five to ten minutes or moving your body in some way, that's great. And I know the last thing you would say regarding, uh, pre-diabetes turnaround that doesn't deal specifically with going on a quote unquote diet is how, how active is your life in general, right? Everyone during the yes. uh, pandemic was sitting down. We, we, we tend to stay seated, especially after 50. You know, you just sit by your desk <laughs> and your work, work, work all day. So what is that about? Like, is a sedentary lifestyle helping me with the prediabetes, or is it something I have to be aware of in order to turn it around?
0: Well, you know, the American Diabetes Association recommends that we break up long periods of sedentary behavior with three minutes of light activity every half hour. So... That means, you know, if you're sitting at your desk for a couple of hours in the morning and and again in a couple hours in the afternoon and maybe watching some TV in the evening or crafting or something like that, we're doing a lot of sitting all day long. So even the strength training and the walking and the jogging, I mean, those are fabulous for us. But without moving our bodies throughout the day, we are still causing ourselves some harm. So that's why the ADA has that recommendation. And you can think about it in in any number of ways. So I've had people who decide, you know, they're working and they'll just stand up every time the phone rings. So it's not like they're setting their watch for every 30 minutes. But they have some regular routine that tells them get up. When, the, when I have one lady, every time she took a sip of water or a sip of tea, she would, she would stand up and just walk around her office. Um, you know, some people will take a couple of minutes of stretching or walking in between book chapters or during TV commercials. There's all kinds of things that, that we can do. And, I mean, certainly some people do set their timers for every 30 or 60 minutes to get up and do something. And, you know, my Apple Watch tells me at, at uh, 10 to the hour, every hour, if I haven't had enough steps in the, in the previous 50 minutes. So there are other things that you can do, but it, just try to be creative and pick a few little triggers, like when the phone rings, I'm going to walk down the hall. things that you just don't pick up on too much, do add up and make a big difference over time. But in a sense, Max, that's a good thing because that means that we can pick a bunch of tiny little things and work on them, and over time, they make a big difference. So I'll just give you an example. One time, um, I had a job at a research clinic, and I worked on the third floor. But I never once took the elevator, not once. So think about how many steps I got. So that's the kind of thing that I want people to do is start to pick a bunch of these little things that will add up. But you're absolutely right. We don't realize that, okay, so maybe we're still exercising, um, you know, formally exercising, going for a run or, or, you know, playing tennis or something like that, but aren't we also still sitting at our desks more or sitting in the car more And yes, maybe we're still eating three wholesome meals and we don't eat a lot of desserts, but are we also still eating as many vegetables as we we used to eat? And are we still getting fruits for snacks and things like that? So it takes a little bit of of self-reflection.
1: You kind of have to be aware of all the things that you're grabbing or adding Mm -hmm. that you might not even – take into consideration, right? Because people get a lot of calories and fat and other things from what they're drinking, not just what they're eating.
0: Absolutely. You are definitely right about that. When I think about, you know, years ago, I mean, I didn't even live any place that had a Starbucks. Like there were no coffee shops, you know, Um, you know, not like we have now. And then when I see some of the things that they offer at Starbucks and other coffee houses, it's just like the calories of a meal sometimes in just a drink come on y'all
1: After talking about the shocking amount of fat and calories and added sugar in our favorite coffee drinks, I asked Jill to clarify some of the confusing terms related to pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, starting with insulin resistance.
0: So if you have insulin resistance, that just means that some cells in your body are resistant to insulin or they are slow to pay attention to what insulin asking it to do. So insulin is a hormone that has many, many roles in the body, but the one that we're really referring to when we talk about blood sugar control is that it's insulin's job to usher sugar out of the blood and into the cells. And so if the cells are insulin-resistant, that means that it's not the insulin isn't properly working, and it's not ushering the glucose at the right rate out of the glucose or sugar, same thing, out of the blood and into the cell. And the opposite of insulin resistance is insulin sensitivity. So we talk about, oh, your body is very sensitive to insulin. Your body isn't very resistant where your body is very insulin resistant, you don't have a lot of insulin sensitivity. They're just the opposite terms.
1: Now, getting back to um, small changes, because I love the idea, I do think prediabetes is an overwhelming diagnosis. And I think it helps to just know you can make some small changes that could actually help you turn it around. You've done some really interesting research with health studies about some of the surprising results we might find by making small changes. And one of them was this finished study, which revealed that small changes in our diet could really help us with a prediabetes turnaround by increasing our fiber and decreasing saturated fats. Can you explain that?
0: Sure. So... Um, there are several diabetes prevention studies that we have around the world. And the, the large one here in the U.S. is called the DPP, or Diabetes Prevention Program. And then in Finland, they have a similar one. And there's one in, in um, India and another one in China, and there are, are many, actually. But what they have in common is that they have tweaked diet and or exercise. And, but sometimes the diet tweaks have been a little different. And so I what I think the point that I want to make is that wholesome eating, regardless of whether you're following this diet or that diet, has a benefit. And I think we know what wholesome means. You know, eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole foods and, you know, the kind of thing that you just know you're supposed to be eating. Um, but, so in the Finnish study, they had um, a decrease of saturated fat, I believe. In the um, U.S. study, it, originally it was total fat and calories. Um, some of them are lower sugar, lower alcohol, higher vegetables, higher fiber, lower saturated fat. They're all different little changes that people have made in these studies but the the upshot is that just eating wholesome food seems to make a big difference and this is true even without weight loss so in the indian diabetes prevention program the people who were in the study didn't have high rates of obesity and an overweight like in the us study but um, and, and they didn't have weight loss yet they still had a lot of reversal of prediabetes. So they improved their diet and they improved their exercise, and without weight loss, they still reversed prediabetes. So, this is this, my, the underlying point again here is just that making lifestyle changes makes a difference.
1: some great ideas and tips for people out there who might be willing to try right now, feeling motivated and want to start taking small steps to improve a pre diagnosis uh, pre diabetes diagnosis and turn it around. So one of your first tips is change your food environment. One Oh are you talking yes,
0: about? for sure. Okay. So just think about that. I um, if I have chocolate in my house I'm more likely to eat chocolate than if I don't have chocolate in my house, right? But that's just like an obvious way of of helping to understand this picture. So if we make our food environment such that it's conducive to healthy eating, it it just makes healthy eating easier. And that's the point. I I always say make easy your best friend or make easy your BFF. So how can you do that? Well, for one thing, don't leave snack food all over the kitchen counter. And, you know, if you really have a hard time limiting your ice cream, don't buy ice cream in big cartons. Either buy it in, like, small cups or ice cream sandwiches or individual cones, something like that, or just go out for ice cream. So you limit your amount that way. So that's what I mean by food environment. Um, So how can we use it to limit the unhealthy stuff, and I don't mean omit it completely, but just limit the less healthy stuff and have an abundance of healthy things. So here's another one, Max. You know, if you're you're making lunch, and making lunch is like a, a big deal, like to pack your lunch for work, and it's just like a big hassle, well, change your environment to make it easier. If you're you know, doing sandwiches and things like that, can you put all your sandwich fixings in one, like, Rubbermaid or Tupperware container so you pull out one container and it's got the cheese and the meat and the mustard and the mayonnaise and whatever. So that's a way of changing your environment to make it easier. Or you could even say, I don't even want to go to the trouble of making a sandwich, and then you just buy things that you can, I call it like a modular lunch. It could be like a, an adult version of a Lunchable where you just have various things that you toss into a lunch bag. Maybe it's a little thing of cottage cheese or yogurt or cheese stick, a hard-boiled egg, a little package of seasoned ready-to-eat tuna, some different vegetables, a little thing of hummus, something like that. So just make things as easy as
1: possible. I love that. All right, and then your second tip is limit your menu options which might sound restrictive. So what do you mean by that, by limiting our menu options? Yeah,
0: so I'll tell you an example of how this works really well for somebody, and I think it's just such a good description. I had a patient one time with type 2 diabetes, and the first time she came in to me to see me, she was like, I'm going to lose 80 pounds by the end of the year, and I'm never going to do this, and I'm never going to do that, and I'm always going to do it." da 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 That is just like so extreme, all the things that she had planned, that I worried for her right away, particularly because she told me that every single night on her way home, and I don't mean most nights, I mean every night on her way home from work, she would stop at one of three or four or five fast food restaurants and pick up dinner. Well... She really did struggle with making all these changes, so what we ended up doing for her is I just took an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper and folded it into four, so I have like four little squares you know, I mean, you, know you know what i 'm talking about. I folded it into quarters, half and then half again, and then we wrote the names of four fast food restaurants that she would go to, and we looked up all the different online all the different Um, options that she could get at these restaurants, and we made it her personalized menu. So this way it limited her choices. Instead of driving to McDonald's or KFC or Taco Bell or wherever it was and looking at the entire menu board, she pulled out her one sheet of paper and saw that she had these three or four choices. So they were the more wholesome choices available there. And by limiting her choices, she was able to lose weight and control her blood sugar better and her blood pressure because um she wasn't facing an entire menu of options and i think that this yeah you
1: eliminated the guesswork you you know you eliminated the yeah. guesswork i'm sure she was thrilled that most people would love it. i mean when you say it like that i think people would really love that you know just Knowing what to get, what they can get, and just having that guidance through the chaos is, I think, super helpful. And then your, your third tip, which kind of goes back to the first step, is make it convenient.
0: Mm, right. Uh, explain yeah. that one. Okay, so here's another story. <laughs> Several years ago, a food company sent me like packaged pasta with like 90 second micro or 60 second microwavable pasta. And I thought, okay, well, this is cool, and I put it in the pantry and never used it, because why would I? I just, it isn't something that I would use. And then um, probably had it in my pantry for months, and then we renovated our kitchen. So I needed really easy things. So I took that out, and I took out the, the microwavable rice and quinoa and lentils and barley and all these things that I had in there that I had never used. These are the most convenient things in the world. And it's like I use them all the time now, Max. So it just took the burden off of me having to cook, X, you know, a certain number of things every meal that I like to think about having something already prepared every time I make dinner. So if I can have something that I just throw in the microwave for 90 seconds or, you know, that's just an example. But sometimes convenience to me is I'll just go downstairs during lunchtime, eat my lunch, and I might even start some dinner preparation then. So when I come downstairs again to make dinner, it's already there. Um, But the idea that we have to make everything from scratch or that everything has to be perfect, you know, Perfect is the enemy of progress, for sure.
1: I agree. And, (laughs) you know, Marjorie Post Post was totally ahead of her game because she's the one who started bird's eye. And at the moment she started frozen Mm. food, apparently there weren't even freezers in most American homes. But she knew that women specifically at that time were doing predominantly all the cooking in the house. That women wanted mm-hmm. a break, so by making frozen foods that you could just, you know, at that time boil. So Today you could microwave, like you're saying. You don't even have to cut right. it up; it's just ready to go. And there's plenty of steamed frozen vegetables, fresh fruits, mm-hmm. things you could just grab out of your freezer any time of year, right? So, I mean, that's another right. way of making it convenient. If that's really an issue, do you so is frozen food an option you would uh, tell your patients about?
0: Oh, for sure, frozen food and canned food, and, I mean, just walk through the grocery store, even in the produce section, and see what's already prepared for you. You have, you know, salad greens that are already washed and ready to go. You can buy jicama cut up. You can buy berries washed and ready to eat. Onions already chopped. You can buy chopped onions in the freezer section. So it doesn't matter. There are healthy foods in all parts of the grocery store. So it doesn't matter where you get them, but eating an abundance of produce or any type of wholesome food, and you can make it easy on yourself. Like frozen fish fillets are one of the like, it's just like a miracle, I think, because if you have them individually wrapped frozen fillets, then you just take out however many fillets you need. You get home, you're tired and cranky, pull them out of the freezer, put them in a little pot of water, cold water for 10 minutes while you change your clothes and check the mail and give the dog his treat and then you come back and they're ready to cook and it's amazing
2: Troubles of this world Sometimes get you down Trials and Tribulation causing you to weep and moan You throw When you look back at the world, somehow you find the strength to carry on. Can I get a witness? Brothers and sisters stop fussing and fighting. Why can't we all just get along? Children are lost and all alone. Don't you know we gotta make this world a happy home? My best friend just called me on the phone asking why we put up with this madness. It feels like God isn't listening, but you look through your pain and rise above your shame. God, oh yes, my Lord is, is worthy of my praise. Oh yes,
1: God. Uh, Jill, tell us a little bit about the pre-diabetes turnaround course that you offer on your website.
0: Sure. It's a course for people who have prediabetes. They could be just diagnosed with it or have had it for a while. But it's basically how to turn it around, what to eat, what types of exercise to do, how often to exercise, and woven throughout are lessons and strategies about making behavior change and building habits and boosting motivate motivation so it's got that whole whole array of things that are important to somebody with prediabetes
1: visit jill for more information about jill's courses books and online classes
2: acting like you don't, know his name. you don't know his name, living in confusion as the world goes insane, you may be pretty on the outside, but really matters is on the inside, walking around telling lies, throwing shade and no disguise.
1: Coming up, we're going to go inside a type 2 diabetes diagnosis and find out how vocalist Pat Lacey turned her attitude and diabetes health around.
3: I was devastated because it's like, no, I can't believe I let this happen, you know, because I know it's preventable.
1: That's a reaction my next guest, my good friend vocalist Pat Lacey had when she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes after being diagnosed with pre-diabetes years before.
2: I'm taking. God church morning
1: In this interview Pat really shares a lot of what I think are some of the common thoughts and ideas anyone who's been diagnosed with either pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes experiences. Uh, in the wake of getting such a diagnosis And I hope you stay tuned to listen to our full interview And hear exactly how Pat was able to not only turn around her health But her mindset about looking at how she wants to manage her diabetes going forward if you wanna be with me,
2: you gotta get to know my God It's time to take a stand to be a better man mm-hmm.
1: Let's start by looking at how you viewed diabetes as a child. Maybe it's because you knew someone who was living with diabetes or had experienced diabetes complications due to mismanagement that could have helped you form some kind of ideas around what a diagnosis of diabetes would look like. Was there anyone like that in your past? When I was a kid, we
3: had a woman in our church. who was our church mother. And I remember her losing her big toe because of diabetes. I'm like, I don't want that to happen to me. You know, I was saying that growing up as a kid, so I never want to be diabetic, and never want to be diabetic. And even when I was diagnosed pre-diabetes, I said, "Well, doctor, you ain't got to worry. I'ma be working out. That's not gonna happen to me." But then, of course, life happened, and it happened to me. My first thoughts was I was in denial for about six months, and and then my thing was, what do I eat? What can I eat? I'm already a pescatarian, so what of that did I need to get rid of? to get rid of this diabetes diagnosis. So I kind of stepped up my game with working out and trying to eat healthy and leaving the sweets alone and things like that. But then came along the pandemic and I started cooking like crazy and just kind of lost all track of all of that. And then I was diagnosed on December 11th of 21. So it took me a while to kind of figure out my eating habits at home and trying to do something healthy to kick off my morning instead of sitting down and having eggs, bacon, grits, cheese, and all of that stuff every morning. I was doing a lot of cooking for my mom, and I was sitting there eating with her, and um, I, just, I had to say, okay, I see what this disease is doing and has done to my mom all of these years. And I don't want to put my family through that, so I decided get my active gear, get it together, get back on my spin bike, get back on my working out walking
1: and and really, 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 for me watching what I was eating and so where Where did you start at, and where are you today?
3: I started at fifteen um and an I worked A, my one at
1: fifteen mhm.
3: A1C was 15, and I've been able to work it down to 6.5 at my last checkup.
1: Wow! And Which and how have you made these have how have you made these habits stick? Like, let's talk about uh, let's start with spinning. How did you make spinning stick?
3: Spin biking?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh,
3: just come home in the evening and and you know before I go to bed and. Is if I didn't have workout clothes on, i throw some workout clothes on, throw the TV on, watch a movie, and
1: spend for 60 minutes. What's the habit around monitoring what you eat that you that I, worked I for you? Yeah, I really
3: wasn't monitoring food. Um, I used to do salads all the time years ago, and I, so I went back to doing my salad sometimes with tuna on it, sometimes with salmon or shrimp on it, and... Um, not really measuring food. Um, mother's doctor told her once about ice cream because before she was diagnosed, she was eating a pint of haagen ice cream two or three times a week and me with her. And he told her just something that stuck with me, said, you know, Miss Buckner, the first spoon is going to taste exactly like the last spoon in that pint, so you don't have to eat it all in one setting. And so I do that to myself. If I get a Fancy, real extravagant, delectable dessert that's uber sweet. Um, I can eat off the thing for two or three days, you know, just take a bite or two after my meal, and then, okay, that's it. You know it's going to be there tomorrow. You'll have enough for three more desserts. You don't have to eat it all at one time. And so that's what I started doing with my food. Like I just got through with a salmon chef salad, and I saved some for later. You know, so I try to make at least two meals out of every meal, if I'm eating out or even cooking in. So I don't have to eat it all at once. So that's what helps me, and I think that's what has helped me to get my numbers down from fifteen down to six point nine. Because it, it took a minute; it went to fifteen, and then it was nine, and it hovered at nine for months, and then it hovered at eight, and then seven for months, and the, the last time I went in, I kind of felt. It might have gone back up from the 7, but to my surprise, it had gone down to 6.5. So I'm on the right track.
1: And what would you say to someone else right now who's listening who might be where you started at? Like what, what would you say to help motivate or encourage them to kind of reach the goal you have? I wanted to live a longer
3: life. I was only in my early 60s, and I wanted to be able to be around to see my great-grandchildren because all my grandchildren are grown now, so no one started having greats yet, but I like to be around to hold them and play with them and talk to them and sing to them. We have to be proactive about our health as we are about life insurance and car insurance and homeowner's insurance and things like that. you got to stay on top of
1: these things to make sure that you're keeping this check. I love it. And we know each other because we both worked for Luther Vandross. Did what happened with Luther's stroke impact you in any way around your health? Yeah, it definitely has stayed with me. You
3: know, I watched him go through his journey as well. I don't want to be at the pinnacle of my life and have something so devastating happened that will take you away from your love, which for both of us was music. But I've taken a hold of the rain and reeled that thing back in like, okay, you control it. It doesn't need to control you. So that's where I'm at. I'm controlling it. I'm not letting it control me.
2: Praise like a dancer. I am the shackles off my feet. Gave me strength that i might see The River Jordan at the end of this journey. I've been led out of the desert, walked through the red sea. A thousand years whips on my back. My blood on the sand and on the cotton fields. We've been playing
1: your music this entire podcast. Tell us, you inspired you to come up with this album. It's a gospel
3: album with eclectic music styles, which is something I've always desired to do.
1: And your album really is a testament to your love of
3: church. Church has always been a part of my life. I was born and raised in the church, and thankfully I've had the opportunity to work with Luther Vandross and Sounds of Blackness, so I've gotten to see other parts of life as well. But I'm always drawn back to the church because it's kind of funny when there's trouble going on in the world. Everybody wants to pray, but no. It seems like well, shouldn't we be praying all the time? You know, for me, that's what church is, is. Always keep a prayer in my heart, no matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, where I'm going. You know, that's kind of what church really means to me. Is, is trying to help each other get along to the next spot in their life.
1: We've been listening to your voice. You have such a soulful, beautiful voice. Tell us a little bit about your journey of just becoming comfortable with a deeper toned voice than most women in my family we
3: were all singers my mother and father both were singers um my mother did it professionally my my father was a pastor so he would sing from the pulpit just to get the congregation going every now and then but my mother did it professionally and she had a contralto voice just like I have but as a kid i wasn't comfortable with my voice cuz it was so low it, you know i sounded like the guys in the neighborhood hey, Patty, hi, you know, that that was me, you know. And I never had that high-pitched or even that medium-pitched girl speaking voice.
1: Tell us how Luther helped you realize how wonderful and unique your voice is.
3: Um, when Luther heard me, Sounds of Blackness had just finished the tour with him, and we were selected to do the finale song on the Essence Award show. Now, he didn't come to that show, but he saw it on TV. And when he needed to replace a vocalist, Paulette, Mac Williams, he remembered my voice from singing the lead on Taking It to the Streets. And then when Luther came back through Minnesota for his next tour, he came up to me two or three times at the meet and greet that time, that night, and said, Pat, you're bad. You know, I'm like okay, bad isn't good. He's like, yes. And then he walked away, and he went and and greeted some more people, and he came back again and said something else. And by the third time, he came up to me and said, look, Luther, I'm a good kept secret. I have a passport, and we'll travel. So I get this call, and there I am. I'm part of the group. And I'm like, That's when I felt even more in love with my contralto voice because I'm thinking to myself, oh, don't nobody want to hear nobody with no voice low like mine. I'm just going to stand in the back of the choir like I did with the church choirs and the school choirs. But then being selected, being hand-selected by Luther Vandross really gave me the utmost appreciation for my contralto voice.
1: Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's stay happy and healthy together. I want to thank both of my guests, Jill Weisenberger and Pat Lazy, for joining us tonight. And a special thanks to Pat Lazy for lending us all the great music you heard tonight throughout this podcast. Thanks for listening.